Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, and as we continue in the season of Easter, uh, we explore and discover what it means for us to live in light of resurrection. And even though we sit in the face of challenge and loss and grief, uh, we also at the same time are trying to hold on to rest, comfort, and hope that God offers. And one of the lectionary texts for this morning comes from Psalm 23. You know, it's a familiar poem uh, that many of us have heard or read. You know, it's an invitation that reminds us of the comfort and rest that God offers as we navigate the dark valleys in our lives. And in this extended season of physical separation as a community, you know, all of us have been navigating some dark and painful valleys. And what's been difficult is not having space to hear and process these things together in community. And yet one of the things that, you know, many of you have found meaningful uh, in our virtual liturgies is getting the opportunity to hear from the voices of our community and, and what each of us have been experiencing. And so this morning, uh, we're going to try an, an experiment. And I've invited a couple of our Vox members to collectively reflect on this psalm together uh, and for them to share what this past season has been like and how they're receiving and integrating this psalm. And so we have Christy Robinson uh, and Joe Aranella joining me this morning. Thank you both uh, for being willing to try this experiment with me. Um, could each of you just introduce yourselves briefly and, and maybe share a bit about what your daily life currently involves? Yeah, I can start. So I'm Christy. Um, I've been a part of Vox for like 10 years. Um, currently, I'm in grad school. I'm pursuing a master's in clinical mental health. So my days are spent studying, reading, managing household life with two kids that have been learning online all year. So I'm a short order chef. Um, I'm a snack person that brings all the snacks. And my husband works in tech. So our day-to-day -day looks pretty much like that in front of a computer screen. I also have a lovely pandemic cat named May. I'm Joe, and um, <clears throat> let's see, I've been at Vox for about five years, and I'm one of the leaders of the recovery group. I am uh, I am married to my sweetie from the time I was 18 years old. We're about ready to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. I have uh, three lovely daughters that are just the love of my life, my best friends. Um, I Let's see, I... It, my I, my work history is weird, but I was uh, I was in the ministry for about seven years as a youth director, and then moved to uh, Texas about twenty five years ago for my wife to go to law school. And so um, I looked in the newspaper under the religion section for a job, and much to my surprise, there were no jobs. There was no religion section actually. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I was really praying, you know, for God to show me a sign. And and I guess with his wicked sense of humor, I ended up in the sign industry for the past 20 years. So I've had a couple of sign shops here in Austin, Texas. Um, my youngest daughter took over my last one. And now I'm in the middle of a corporate sponsor today as sign tracker. But I am in the middle of a um, software startup that helps uh, sign companies uh manage their work. So I spend most of my day in Zoom sessions um, helping sign companies organize their work. So that's what I do. 
Thanks, Joe. And, thank, and thanks for the sponsorship, too. That's, yes. that's, that's very meaningful <laughs> for us. Um, and congrats also in 40 years. Um, yes. That's, 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 that's amazing. I feel we're, really lucky. We're, I'm about halfway there, so about to hit 20. So, um, But, you know, again, thanks for being part of this conversation as we reflect on Psalm 23. Uh, and when we were planning our time together, we made this observation that um, this psalm has three acts that makes it easy to follow. You know, we start in the green pastures and then get thrown into the darkest valley. And then we land in the house of God, um, so, which is a helpful narrative arc. But it's also important um, to note that many of our experiences don't follow a linear path. You know, some of us experience the pastures in preparation of the valley. And on the flip side, some of us experience the valley in preparation of the pastures. But both of them are part of our journey uh, of knowing and being known by God. And so let's start uh, in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And so, you know, we start this psalm uh, with an image of comfort and restoration. Right? Resting in green pastures and calm waters. Uh, it's an image that feels both restorative and elusive. You know, something that we, we desperately need and something that doesn't happen enough in our lives. And I remember when the pandemic first started, you know, and we had to go into lockdown and, and stay at home. I mean, we were essentially being forced to stop and slow down from our unsustainable pace of life. And even though we didn't realize the full impact of this pandemic at the time, I mean, we were given a paradoxical gift to rest. And so I'm wondering, you know, what comes to mind for each of you uh, as you reflect on this invitation of green pastures and still waters uh, in the context of this this past year? Well, for me, <clears throat> you know, it's it's funny. Well, when you asked me to reflect on this psalm, I've been uh, reading in the message translation. And so, you know, the, I think the you know, green pastures and still waters, for me, the verse that that stood out was you let me catch my breath. You send me in the right direction. You know, looking back at the beginning of the pandemic to now, you know, my, my view of what was coming was so different than reality, obviously. Right. But, you know, at that time I was, uh, I'm a marathon runner and for whatever reason, regular marathons don't do it for me. So I like to do things like 50 mile trail runs and downhill mountain runs. And so I was training for a marathon that runs down the side of a mountain and I tore my meniscus. Mm -hmm. And so my knee, so I had to have knee surgery. And I thought, well, gee, great, you know, a global pandemic and I, I, I have to recover anyway. So this is great. I'm, you know, I'm going to be at home. And then I, I had these great plans of becoming, uh, you know, a meditator. I was going to do yoga. I was going to dial in on my diet, possibly become a vegan. I was going to create a spreadsheet to track the 10 glasses of water I was going to drink every day. Uh, you know, the super spiritual, I was going to read everything that Richard Rohr wrote. That was my plan. 
Um, some goals. That's some goals. Yeah, right I was just going to dial it all in, you know. And so in, for me, in the beginning of the pandemic, I, I mean, it's funny that I say this now, but I was, you know, I was oddly grateful for this time to slow down and, and take a breath, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was at in the beginning of the pandemic. Thanks for sharing, Joe. Um, yeah, for us, as I was reflecting on Green Pastures as well, um, because we were all learning from home, so learning, working from home, Eric's job is remote, um, we just had the freedom to go anywhere we wanted. So typically, we spend um, time at the beach. My parents have a beach house, so we spend a lot of vacations there, but we ended up living there for two months. Uh, my parents quarantined with us. And so getting to be by the ocean, um, playing in the water every day after school is out, um, just beautiful, beautiful sunsets. I felt very restored. Uh, it felt like my version of green pastures um, and gave us space to just process everything that was happening to us in the world, globally, nationally, but then also just in our own personal lives. And so the space to reflect, the space to think. My family took good care of us. They literally made me lay down, mm -hmm. um, brought me meals. Like I would just be sitting at the table working and a meal would appear before me. Um, they watched my kids, they entertained them, did a million crafts with them and nourished me and sustained me. So those were my my very, very luxurious green pastures for two months of the last year. Mm, that does sound very luxurious. <laughs> um, you know, I think what stands out to me is that, you know, rest comes in unexpected forms. You know, sometimes it's given to us, you know, maybe in the form of a beach house that, you know, next time I think we all need to join you, Christy. Um, and sometimes it's forced on us, you know, in the form of a pandemic. I mean, when lockdown started, you know, I remember our family was able to enjoy things we hadn't done in a long time, like doing puzzles together and having game nights. And so hearing how each of you uh, have experienced God's restoration and rest uh, is a reminder that we have tangible experiences uh, of green pastures. And then we pick up in verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And as we move into this second act of the psalm, you know, we're brought to this contrasting image of the darkest valley. And the psalmist doesn't make this a conditional statement. It's not if you ever walk through the darkest valley, but it's more when you walk through the darkest valley. And I acknowledge that this part of the psalm has probably been the most real and tangible for all of us in this past year. And so I'm curious to hear what this image of the darkest valley brings up uh, for each of you. You know, how has this specific text been tangible for you this past year? Yeah, I can start. Um, so over the last year, right when pandemic started, um, my spouse and I were transitioning out of over a decade of ministry. So that's what we had been doing since we graduated college. So it sent me into um, just a time of reevaluating, of asking questions around vocation and identity. And that by itself is transition is loss. And so I was 
hard to begin there and then to enter into more isolation um, because of the pandemic was challenging. And then in the midst of that, uh, there was a huge shift in our social support. So we have some dear, dear friends, family friends of ours that we've known for a decade. And there was this huge rupture in our relationship um, and ending of a friendship. And so I've noticed that friendship breakups don't get a lot of airtime. Um, I think as a community, we can tend to know like how to offer tenderness and care when ruptures happen within families or between spouses. But our brains are wired to experience loss, relational loss similarly. And so for me, it, it created a really deep ache um, when people you thought you would share the table with and meals with forever mm. decide not to love you anymore. And so it was really, really painful. Um, it was an ache I didn't know how to describe at the time and still really don't. So um, that, along with the transitions in vocation, along with just the racial tensions that were surfacing in our country that my body carried deeply, um, the Latinx community and Mexican-American was also dealing with a lot of our own rooted colorism and anti-Blackness and needing, needing to do work um, to be really anti-racist. And so the weight of what we were watching, the violence and the anti-Asian violence, like all of it, that plus <laughs> our own personal stories of yeah. pain and loss. Um, I was in the midst of starting a grad school program to pursue clinical mental health. So that kicked off a long stint with depression. So I I was diagnosed with depression several years ago and had been managing fine. Um, but all of these things culminated in that being triggered and really needing to pull in some resources for myself. Um, and that was my experience of my dark valley. Um, mm. So I've been reflecting on Psalm 23 um, by a feminist writer named Barbara Monda. And the way that she um, she writes that phrase, darkest valley, she says, lost in my own darkness. Mm. And I feel like that perfectly described my experience with depression. It just feels like you're lost in your own darkness. I felt like I was deep in a fog. Um, it's a very disembodied experience. I felt like outside of myself, it's a very numbing experience. So I've needed to pull in and I've been on, you know, medications and figuring that out and just doing what I need to do to navigate the Stark Valley with the support and resources I have around me. Um, but that was unexpected. And in some ways, I'm still walking that Dark Valley. So... That's a little bit of my story. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Christy, for sharing that. I think, you know, I think for me, the, the word heaviness, you know, because um, I, was, I was reflecting on the dark valley, too. You know, in recovery, in, in recovery work, a lot of what goes on, uh, you know, when, you, when you're getting to the point where you're recovering, it, the root of most of what you're struggling with is fear, you know, and so... For me, I just found, you know, obviously my my ideas about what this pandemic was, a breather and a break was, you know, quickly replaced with reality. And the reality is that, you know, the severity of a global pandemic and people dying and people, you know, getting sick and the political climate and the anger on social media and the news and the racial injustice and the isolation. 
you know, all of a sudden it, it felt like my problems were becoming unbearable. And, you know, most of the time, you know, for me, I think about, you know, I guess it depends on the day, right? If I'm feeling bad for myself, my problems are way worse than everyone else's. But most days, most days, the reality is my problems are, you know, less severe than many that suffer, you know, but they just became heavier during the pandemic. And, you know, I, I have, you know, obviously my, you know, my wife was working from home now. So we had that whole dynamic of, you know, being isolated and trying to give each other space to get things done. And then my daughter, you know, I have, I have three daughters and they're adults, you know, so they all have their adult problems that they're dealing with. And one of my, you know, one of my daughters struggles terribly with mental health issues and addiction, which has led to homelessness. And, you know, we've been juggling that for years and, and, you know, always be the kind of person that rolls up my sleeves and tries to help and fix things and try to control things. And, you know, I, my, then I have another daughter that was born with heart disease and, you know, she's had a, several six open heart surgeries and many other procedures. And, you know, she is now facing another full open heart surgery. So, you know, nav navigating doctors and hospitals and the planning that's going to, that still hasn't happened yet. It's going to be soon. Um, and then my youngest daughter who somehow I managed to suck to go into the sign, the very stressful sign industry. She bought my last sign shop. So she's been, you know, dealing with the anxiety. You know, she deals with a lot of anxiety issues. And so, in, you know, in the midst of, and then all the other stuff that the pandemic has brought to, right. The, the changes and how we're managing our lives. But, you know, I think for me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a checklist person. I'm a, I'm a, you know, you know, try to fix, I'm a fixer. And all of a sudden, you know, these people that I love with all my heart, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really do anything. My hands were tied. I couldn't go be with them. I couldn't hug them. I couldn't really help them like I normally do. And it would just become overwhelming. And, and also in the midst of that, my, my aging mom who lives in Florida has dementia, you know, and, and I'm just, I'm fearful that I won't get to see her again while she's, you know, while she still somewhat remembers who I am. And so it's been, you know, it's been uh, that part of managing this has been really tough, but in the midst of all this, a friend from Vox had been an, encouraging me to, with another person to start this, the recovery group at Vox, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I was so reluctant to do that because with all these other things that were going on in my life, I felt like, how can I help anybody? You know, and I especially can't help people that are having, you know, all these you know, problems with, you know, addiction or whatever. And I just felt like if I do this now, you know, I'm just going to be an imposter. You know, I'm going to show up. And so I was, I was really reluctant to do that. And so, um, yeah. So I think those are the things that, you know, I was struggling, struggling with that I have been struggling with through the, through the dark Valley part of this pandemic. And, and uh, yeah, so that was my experience. That's been my experience in that part. Of it, so. Yeah. I mean, thanks, thanks Joe. Thanks for sharing just the difficult circumstances within your own family. You know, I mean, I can only imagine uh, the depth of helplessness, you know, that you're experiencing when you realize you can't fix things for other people. Mm -hmm. um, and Christy, I really appreciate just your vulnerability and sharing your reality uh, just of depression and describing it as being lost uh, in your own darkness um, and just the relational um, breakdowns that you're experiencing. I mean, that resonates for me too. And just my own experience of this past uh, year. 
And, and like you both said, this was all on top of the collective trauma that we're experiencing with the pandemic and, and racial injustices that continually surface. Um, and even though I, I find this practice of naming our valley to be extremely heavy, um, it has also been meaningful to invite others into that space and into the dark valley with us and, and to collectively know that we're not alone uh, in our suffering. And so let's, let's close here in verse five. So in verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And so this, this psalm ends with the third act where we're on the receiving end of God's goodness and mercy. And a better translation here might actually be that only goodness and mercy will pursue us, which captures a much more active image and metaphor of God's intention towards us. And so in our final reflection here, how does, how does this hopeful invitation of goodness and mercy pursuing us, how does that land for each of you? Go for it, Joe. Am I, am I, <laughs> I don't have the order in front of me, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, way, you know, um, the, I think the verse, you know, for me in that, that stood out was your beauty and love chase after me, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I decided, you know, to go ahead and move forward with the recovery group, you know, and I think um, what happened was I was talking to my sponsor and he said, to me, you know, I, I was just wrestling with it and saying, look, I, I just got too much going on. And, you know, it's, I'm in the middle of too much stuff. I can't I can't really do this. And he said, look, Joe. Take everything that's really bothering you, you know, and write it all down on a piece of paper. And so whether it's, you know, the struggles with my daughter or the helplessness over my mom or whatever it was, you know, and then get it, you know, just get it all out of your head and write it down so you can see it somewhere else and then pray. And because I, I would just encourage you to pray, not for answers, like mm -hmm. don't pray for, for resolution, for peace, for things to be fixed. You know, God, please fix this or take this. And he goes, just, just pray that these things won't interfere in being of service to others. And allowing God to love others through you. And so in any case, I, I, uh, I did that and I moved forward with the recovery group. And, you know, I, when I get in there, I, I still had all this, these reservations about doing this. And so I started listening, you know, and sharing. And I, I found myself showing up week after week with this group of people that were just humble and honest and they had just as many painful things going on in their lives too. And instead of, you know, instead of feeling like I had to hide all those things, I found that the connections I was making in the box recovery group, they were, they, I had all these people that were willing to help me carry these things. Mm. And so it was just, it, it ended up being a surprisingly beautiful and, and still is every week. It's like my, my lifeline, you know, and I, I get to show up at these um, perfectly broken, people that are, that love God and love me. And, 
and uh, and and it's it's led me back to the sense that I am back in the house of of God. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that, Joe. Um, I definitely resonate too with um, experiencing God's goodness through people and uh, through community. Um, and I think reflecting on God's goodness in my life specifically as it relates to my faith, um, something that has held me and made me feel the closeness and pursuit of God is has been just living within the liturgical calendar. So um, with depression, I've not had a lot of clarity of thought. <laughs> um, everything has felt kind of foggy. And so I've just existed in the narratives of Jesus. Um, and so I remember when pandemic started, we were kicking off Lent and that was really meaningful for for me as our Vox community was reflecting on that in our sermons and holding space for that. And then entering into Easter, ordinary time, uh, giving space for Advent and Christmas, like those have been the markers of my faith that have held me. And that's it. Um, So as a Mexican-American too, every marker in the calendar has like different traditions and different rituals that go along with it. And so for me, even just doing those practices, like making that specific meal during um, Lent or the specific kinds of desserts during Advent, um, they all have deep meaning, deep spiritual meaning. And so using my body to participate in that way has helped me stay grounded, has helped me stay connected to the story of God. And that was enough for me. It became the container that held me this whole year um, and kept me connected to God's goodness and mercy pursuing me in ways I I didn't expect or anticipate. So I've been grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Christy. I mean, it's such a helpful, uh, such a helpful practice of just simply engaging narrative and the liturgical calendar, right? Just to provide us those markers. Um, and they serve as a reminder for God's goodness and mercy. Uh, and Joe, I'm so grateful that you did accept the invitation uh, to facilitate the recovery group here at Fox, you know, and just how you're experiencing goodness and mercy pursuing you through uh, the people in that, that group. And, and I think that's what, I think that's what the end of this Psalm captures for us as well. You know, when, the poet says that we will dwell in the house of the Lord. You know, a better translation might be a return to the house of the Lord. Uh, it's a reminder of the journey that we experience, you know, both the green pastures and the dark valleys in which God accompanies us. And we're always invited to return back to the presence of God. And, and to return to God's house, it, it represents this collective community that accompanies us as well. Uh, through the valley and in the pastures. And so I greatly appreciate the two of you uh, for who you are uh, and just the vulnerability of inviting us into your stories, uh, how you've been reflecting on and experiencing Psalm 23 uh, this past year. So thank you for the gift you've been to me uh, and just the gift for our Vox community this morning. Yeah. So let me close our time together uh, by offering one last reading of Psalm 23, and this time in the message translation that you're mentioning, Joe. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in the lush meadows. 
you find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. And so we pray all this in the love of God, our creator, Christ, our shepherd, and the Holy Spirit, our comforter. Amen.